Worldwide parent coach and conscious educator, Sue DeCaro, is on a mission to revitalize the joy in parenting. Welcome to Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids, a podcast designed to help parents all over the world create deeper connections with themselves and their children while overcoming life's daily parenting challenges. Listen in if you want to bring more laughter, love, and enjoyment to your home life. Welcome to Conscious Parents Thriving Kids, a place for all things parenting. I am your host, Sue DeCaro. I'm super excited to introduce my special guest on this episode, Dr. Christopher Willard. Chris is a clinical psychologist, author, and consultant based in Massachusetts. He is the author of 12 books, including Alpha Breasts from 2019, Growing Up Mindful 2016, and The Breathing Book 2020, translated into more than 10 languages. He has been involved and invited to more than two dozen countries to speak and has presented at two TEDx events. His thoughts on mental health have been featured in the New York Times, the Washington Post, Mindful.org, CNN, and elsewhere. He also teaches at Harvard Medical School and is the father of two children. Welcome, Chris. Thank you so much for joining me on today's episode. Thank you so much, Sue. It's such a, such a pleasure to be here. It's just great. So yeah, thank you. Well, let's dive right in. We are in the midst of a pandemic, and let's talk about mental health and especially focus on mental health for our children right now in today's world. Can you share a little bit about what you're experiencing and seeing, both as a father as well as you know someone who does this work in the world? What are you seeing right. in children? And I think I think that's such a good question because what I what I see with my kids is, is, is also different than what you know so many other kids are experiencing you know in in so many different ways and. You know, my kids are really lucky and, and really privileged in the, you know, our, our school system. My kids are two and five. So my daughter's at home and um, my son's also, you know, got, went home from school. And, you know, for the most part, they're at an age and we're at a flexibility level where they get a lot of time with mom and dad. And, and that's been, I think, really nice for them. Um, exhausting for us. Uh, my <laughs> wife, you know, was on sabbatical this semester, did not really get a sabbatical this semester. And I, you know, am, am working from home and they're jumping in on my Zoom calls. But but overall, you know, I think for them, it's it's largely been okay. But I'm also, you know, so acutely aware that they're not getting much socialization from other kids. And then I'm also acutely aware of how many kids out there are not getting, you know, any parental attention, not getting, you know, a lot of great resources sent home from school. Even if they are, they're, you know, they're, they're limited by, you know, not having access to technology. And then just so many other, you know, just, just challenges um, that, that, that kids are, are facing um, and, and not getting that social time. And kids of all ages. So I work with, you know, families with younger kids. I work directly with older kids and with teenagers. And and I think the lack of social time is is really, it's really hard for kids. Um, what's interesting to me is I'm not seeing tons of anxiety, at least in the kids I work with, but I'm seeing a lot of loneliness, sadness, grief about not having graduation, missing friends, and missing just the kind of the milieu. I, I this this example I brought up a few times in, in other conversations about this kid I work with, and he's like, "I miss my friends, but you know we see each other online and play video games, or you know we do some social distance stuff." But what's hard is like the that that kid in my math class who's just like kind of funny, and I I'm gonna smile at him in the hallway, but I'm not gonna 
I'm not going to call him up. I'm not going to do like a Zoom hangout with him. Like, and I think that's what's hard is just missing that kind of basic social reinforcement. Um, and then kids are just, you know, they're they're missing out on, you know, other other stuff too. There's kids that we worry about because they're home, not, you know, their their parents love them, but don't have the resources to. You know, they, they have to work at the same time. And so they're, you know, like not getting that parental attention and not getting those other things. So I worry a lot about depression in kids. I worry a lot about, you know, just sort of their behavior unraveling and their impulse control unraveling and things like that and their basic socialization. And then for younger kids too, even just, you know, I was thinking about everyone wearing a mask and my daughter who's two being a little bit nervous about people now and is she going to learn how to read facial expressions, you know, if everyone's behind a mask, even if she goes to preschool next year. So there's a lot that I, I worry about right now um, for our kids um, in, in a lot of different ways. And then, you know, on top of the, the COVID pandemic, we're seeing this, you know, we're becoming more aware of a lot of us of this pandemic of racism that so many kids are facing. And that's that's got its own challenges too so there's just so much i think that are that are, is, is a challenge for our kids and for families right now um than than there was maybe six months ago <laughs> so oh, for sure for sure and and you've described it so beautifully um not that it is beautiful but the loneliness sadness the grief but you know one thing you touched on that actually i have not spent a lot of time thinking about is the facial expression Kids yeah, really right? learning to read facial expressions. That's a huge, a huge thing that we don't often talk about or think about right now, right. at least in my circle. So thank you for bringing that up. How can, we'll how can back, parents... Hmm? Yeah, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, how can parents... So, you know, a lot of parents who might be listening to this and are trying to do the very best they can, you know, as you said, it's hard for a lot of parents. They might be working at the same time. Their kids are all home. They're trying to juggle the house, the job, the children, the education, everything. How can they, with the resources they may or may not have, how can they make the most out of supporting their children, helping with that loneliness, sadness, grief, you know, and, and also, you know, you brought up the facial expressions. What can we do about that too? I think as, as parents, we can, we can talk about emotions on, on so many different levels and, you know, whether it's, whether it's little kids, just even kind of talking about what are you feeling and helping them if they're not seeing lots of adults, you know, because masks are on. Right. But like, you know, I read this interesting study a few years ago that was like, you know, with little kids, if you look at picture books and you talk about just pointing to the characters, what do you think this character is feeling right now? That actually those kids then by the time they're in like kindergarten, first grade, they're more empathic, they're sharing and cooperating more because they're, they're building their emotional intelligence skills. Mm -hmm. So even just kind of things like that, I think I, I've been actually deliberately as I go out in public, like not wearing sunglasses in summer so that I can make more facial expressions with my eyes to people so that I look friendlier. Um, you know, even just, and, and other cultures actually communicate more with their eyes than we do in, in, in the West where we communicate more with our mouths. So I think things like this, um, you know, are, are ways of thinking about that kind of mask and facial expression thing. And then, you know, I think just the, the best thing we can do as parents is to be as present as possible when we're able to be present. And, and, and what that means to me is like, yeah, a lot of us are, are also working at the same time, are also <laughs> doing homeschooling, are also doing 10 other things, or maybe caring for our own parents at the same time, right? You know, that's part of my, my situation right now. And, um, you know, but, but finding ways 
to, to really carve out time when we are able to be present with our kids to be absolutely present or to invite them into those things that we're doing. Like, yeah, we got to cook dinner. Is that something we can, you know, we can involve the kids in, in a little math lesson at the same time. You know, I, I worry about my parents, but can I also, you know, get my parents on, on zoom to, to read to my kids and then, my kids are happy and my parents are happy and I get five minutes to talk about the next day's plans with my wife. Like these, these kinds of things also. Um, and I think finding ways to do, to bring in rituals and routines, whether it's rituals that, you know, maybe belong to our cultural or spiritual tradition or coming up with new ones. This is, you know, cultures changed through big traumatic historical events like the ones that we're in. And, We've been doing more mindfulness than ever as a family. We've been doing more, you know, morning meeting as a family where we talk about the day's plans and we preview them and we do more gratitude at night. And, you know, so the time we do have together, we try to make it, make it more special or make it more ritualized in some ways so that, you know, again, we're, we're really connecting and really appreciating that connection time that we do have. Um, so making the most of the time that we do have, even if it is like a minute between Zoom calls, <laughs> to really get that hug in or share that snack together or whatever it might be, um, I think is, is part of it. Yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, when we are present, being fully present and, and being creative in how we carve out that time, like you said, even if it's a minute here or a minute there, but really being creative, how we invite our children in to do tasks and, and the normal parts of, you know, running a household folding the laundry. I can remember years ago, you know, totally different time where my littlest climbed into the basket and was wearing, you know, the laundry on her head. And, you know, that was part of the folding laundry, you know, ritual, so to speak, was that she was in the basket. And, you know, it's just making the most of those moments and you're still getting something done at the same time. You're connecting and teaching and encouraging your child to participate with you in whatever activity you are doing. But at the same time, you need to also step into their world, I think, as a parent and right. participate in their world, whatever that looks like for them and with them uh, in full-on presence. So it's and a juggling the, act, isn't it? Absolutely. And, and, and one of the things that we know about resilience, if you look at whether it's psychology, which is my discipline, or whether it's anthropology or history or spirituality, is that one of the ways that people get through difficult times is by contributing to something larger than themselves. Like, and I don't mean, you know, just like do the laundry kids or do the dishes, but like also in the midst of this pandemic, right? To like have kids, you know, like, right, you know, start being pen pals or sending artwork to the retirement community that can't get visitors or have teenagers tutor younger kids that are falling behind in school. Like to feel, you know, like when, when we feel helpless, one of the best things we can do is do something that's helpful. And so it's really empowering for our kids to feel like they're contributing to making the world a better place right now when the world feels like a really hard place. Um, and that's something that we can do as a family. I mean, I can't sew, but and I do know families that are like sewing masks with their kids and, you know, these, these kinds of things, you know, making signs to, to support activists, like hanging them up in the windows, things like that, I think really help kids feel involved and empowered and then more resilient and also connect us with other people that connects us with the folks in the retirement community or sending thank you notes to the folks working on the front lines. Like these are ways that then we're actually building new relationships um, during a time of crisis that, you know, maybe that, you know, high school junior would never have met that 
sixth grader unless they were tutoring them online. Um, and so we can actually strengthen our communities during this time rather than just, you know, feel like we're all in total isolation and everything's falling apart. That is beautiful. And the broader picture is children learn so much about the world themselves yeah. and yeah. community and connection by, by all that you just shared. I mean, it, there's such a huge opportunity now to step into being part of the larger picture and yeah. in, in both the pandemic as well as racism. I mean, we're here right. to change the world. And today right. it couldn't be any bigger in change than, than what's going on, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. To, to be a part of it is just, is so incredible to feel like they can be, be a part of history and, and, and realize that they are, um, is so empowering and bring so much meaning in a time that can feel kind of meaningless. Like, what's the point of all this? We're stuck at home or like, this is terrible. I'm isolated. It's like, no, there's bigger things than the, I mean, you know, missing the prom is important, but there's also bigger things too that you can connect with than just the prom. Um, I think, and, and holding both of those, I think is, is, is a challenge, but I think an amazing opportunity for our families. For sure. Now, I just had a college graduate, and so um, seeing the bigger picture is not something at the time of, uh, you know, upset and missing out that they're able to see. So, you know, mm -hmm. those, those people that are listening that, you know, may have seen their children or still see their children going through that grief period of missing something, that was very yeah. important to them, I think we have to allow that process because the last thing a child wants to hear or a young adult wants to hear is, you know, get over yourself. Like there's a bigger picture here, but they have to come to hey. terms with that through conversation, through, you know, emotions and moving through the journey of loss in order to see the bigger, you know, picture of perhaps gain in some respects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Your kids are very young, but I'd love to, you know, beautiful ages. I don't mean young in any, you know, negative sense, of course. Uh, <laughs> but I'm curious how you how you might bring up racism with two and five year olds. Um, is there something that you and your, you know, you and your wife do currently to help your children kind of see the world, learn about this from a, you know, positive standpoint? How to how to encourage and include and and be part of, you know, a, a worldwide community that holds each other at the highest level of human kindness? Yeah, I, I think that's such an important question, such a hard question. And I, I think like many other, you know, folks, especially white folks, like we're, we're stumbling through it, trying to figure it out. And, um, and, and it's been a real challenge, you know, with our two-year-old, you know, I think trying to talk about and, and kind of show her models of different kinds of people and, you know, in different picture books and try to, you know, kind of expose her in different ways, you know, to different kinds of people in the world. Um, you know, we happen to live in a very diverse city and neighborhood, which, you know, we really appreciate and value um, trying to expose her to different kinds of people and cultures and foods, as well as just, you know, you know, different looking kinds of people in books and, you know, even at her young age and talking about different role models, especially for young girls. Um, and I think with our son, his, his school is a, a really wonderful resource for um, doing a lot of social justice work. And they, they sent home a lot of really great resources. And they um, actually had a socially distanced chalking event outside of the school where kids were writing stuff. And so we started to have some of these conversations with him um, about what's going on in the world. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a privilege to avoid these things, right? And so we have to step out of our comfort zone and start having these challenging conversations that are awkward 
and and I think continuing to have them, right? It's not just that we have them in February or that we have them in May, you know, when, when there's a lot of activism going on is that we, you know, and what we said was, and I don't know if we're doing this right, <laughs> for one thing, <laughs> but that this is a lifelong conversation and a lifelong project to try to fix these injustices for, for our family um, anyway, that it's really important to do that. And so we try to kind of keep the conversation alive and show him that we're open to having these conversations and answering questions as best we can. Um, and, you know, again, I don't know if we're doing this right, um, but we're, we're, we're certainly trying and, and talking to other families about what they're doing, what kinds of books they're reading, what kinds of conversations they're having, um, you know, pressing for more advocacy in our school and our school district to have these conversations. Um, you know, even from distance learning, how to have these conversations, um, those kinds of things. So, so these are a few of the things, you know, as an author, you know, I try to, you know, I, I've actually like in the past with my kids books, like advocated for more diversity in the illustrations and, um, in the folks that I work with, um, in terms of illustrators. So, you know, there's, there's little things that we can do. And again, not always sure whether I'm doing it right. Um, but having that humility to know that I'm not doing it right. And, and to know that this work isn't ever over. Um, and we took our son to a march, um, socially distanced and we wore masks. And, you know, we live in a certain kind of neighborhood where like literally everyone on our street, like walked to the march in Cambridge, Massachusetts, of course, right. Um, to the rally on the common. Um, you know, but that was that was also really important, I think, for him to see and to that that he was making signs and um, that kind of thing. And again, feeling a part of something bigger um, that's about not him, but about helping helping other people and helping make the world a better place. Um, and to continue doing that. And you know, we we actually we're on vacation right now, but there's a little you know rally at an intersection you know certainly where i live a lot of the busy busier streets um people are holding up signs every day and even where we're on vacation people are are doing that so you know seeing that this is something that really is important and continuing to talk about it um and continuing to talk about justice and what that looks like and injustice what that looks like um so i guess that's kind of what i'm doing and you know i'm i'm looking uh, just as everyone is i'm looking for resources <laughs> too and um thinking about how to do this do this best um and certainly do it better than i have been but i i think there there is not necessarily a right or wrong there's every mm -hmm. day trying to show up and keep the conversation right. going in the best yeah. possible way we can and so you're doing that if if everyone in the world did what you just described it would be beautiful. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah. I think you're doing a wonderful job with very young children to keep the conversation going, to expose them to, to you know, bring in resources and picture books and, you know, talk with them about, you know, diversity and foods and cultures. I mean, these are all really important steps. So, you know, I, I think you're doing a wonderful job. And thank you for sharing. <laughs> I, don't know. I know it's very, it's very personal. It gets right into the personal world of, you know, what are you doing at home? Right. <laughs> so, for right. sharing that and for continuing to you know to do that with your children and and to help this world be different than than what it currently is i mean that's yeah. what we all need to do is take part in that right right so i wanted to just talk a little bit about the breathing book and you know i wondered if you could share with our listeners a little bit about the book and your inspiration and who is this for um so they can uncover this beautiful opportunity to perhaps get that 
Yeah, absolutely. So every time I write a book, I think this is my new favorite. And, and that's how I feel about this until I started working on the sequel. But, um, but the breathing book has been a, a really fun project. It actually is both my wife and I, um, with, with increasingly toward the end, some input from my son <laughs> as he got old enough. Um, and it's, it, it, we are inspired by some of your listeners might be familiar with um, uh, Press Here. Uh, which is a very sweet interactive kind of book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we're thinking like, what would like a mindfulness press here look like? Like what would, you know, what if, what if, you know, rather than your breath or rather than a visualization, what if the book itself was the anchor of your attention and awareness in meditation and, and, and mindfulness. And so that's what the book is. And it's, you know, it sort of opens with, um, you know, feel the book in your hands and, you know, how much does it weigh? Is it smooth? Is it rough? What does it feel like? What does it smell like? Turn the page. Does turning page five sound different than turning page seven? Um, you know, think about where the paper came from, you know, like these little kind of activities that, that are the book itself. Can you balance the book on your head? Can you put the book on your belly and feel your breath move up and down, like these these kinds of things, where you you use the book as the um, as the anchor of attention. Turn the page with your breath, like these these kinds of silly little activities um, that, uh, that that I certainly think are are a lot of fun. And um, and and we had so much fun coming up with them. Um, my wife and I came up with this huge list, and then we went out to dinner and um, spent about you know, an hour and a half whittling our list of like 50 little activities down to maybe more like 15 or 18. And then the, the, the editors, of course, then chopped away some of our favorites, which happens every time you write a book. <laughs> um, but uh, left, left some real uh, nuggets in there that we're, that we're really proud of and that we think are a lot of fun for families um, and for kids. Awesome. Well, I hope that our listeners will take uh, the time to check out that book, and I'll be sure to include the link here so that they can. So you've shared just your incredible wisdom, what you are doing at home, what you share with the world. Are there any parting words that you'd like to to share with people who you know, are trying to just get through their day that might help them just to create more calm, more peace with themselves and the family in their home? Yeah, absolutely, Sue. And that, that's such a good question and, and, and so important now more than ever. I just, you know, off a, off a phone call with a new case, you know, of someone that's got multiple kids at home and it's just like, it's just chaos. And, um, you know, to me, it, it, it starts with us, like as, as parents, like, and then it really does trickle down. And the research actually bears this out too. I mean, everyone says, start with yourself, right? But it's like, actually the, the science shows that parents who practice mindfulness and self-regulate have kids that are more mindful and more well-regulated. And, you know, as we calm down, our kids calm down. Um, I, I, I often kind of cite this meme in my talks that says, never in the history of calming down, has anyone ever calmed down by being told to calm down? And it's like, right? I mean, I've tried it when I was a sped teacher. I've tried it as a therapist. My five-year-old hates this, right? It's like, how do we calm ourselves down and invite our children into that calmer space, right? Mm-hmm. To me, that's, that's what it's about. And, and so it's, it's finding for myself, what are the moments between Zoom calls that I maybe just look out the window for three minutes and 
you know, watch the, the, the different shades of green of the, you know, the tops of the trees waving in the breeze or noticing the different sounds I hear or, you know, coming down to dinner and, you know, talking about what were the best parts of our day or the harder parts of our day as we bring a little bit of gratitude in or, you know, just doing a few breaths, kind of fun, goofy breaths with my kids. You know, again, I've got younger kids throughout my day. And, and then it starts to integrate in. And again, as I mentioned earlier, like having a ritual and a routine can help, um, whether it's just knowing that this is what we do in the morning or this is what we do before homework or this is what we do before bed, that these are just kind of built in and are these little touch points, these little life rafts in the day where we can just reconnect with ourselves, reconnect with each other and maybe bring some, some kind of mindfulness or gratitude practice in. Um, and as kids get older and become teenagers, they're less, you know, they roll their eyes at us when we say, what was the best part of your day? But they still ask themselves that question, right? Even if they don't give us the answer, <laughs> they don't want to give us that, that credit, but they'll still maybe think that to themselves. Or we'll it's say, integrated. Okay, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They've internalized it by that point. Um, yeah. It's certainly my hope anyway. Um, they won't do the breaths with us, but they'll secretly do it before they start their homework or something. <laughs> so, right. Geez. Right. Yeah. We, we are the models. I mean, you, you summarized it so beautifully. We are the models for our children in every way, shape, and form. They're looking at us all the time to see not what we tell them to do, but what we're actually doing for ourselves. So Absolutely. it's, it's yeah. just so important. Yeah. Well, you, yeah. you have just so beautifully shared so many wonderful things and, you know, shared about your family, which I really appreciate. And I'm sure our listeners do as well. And I want to thank you so much for being a part of this and also for, for your book, which sounds amazing. I need to get my copy myself, just for me, <laughs> not even for my grandkids, just for me. That's so, the best I, review I got in the pandemic was I need this book for me, like forget the kids. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, as you just said, you know, we're the adult that needs to lead the way. So what a beautiful way to, to come to its most simplistic terms in a book like that. So I think it's wonderful. I think that everyone should have one in their home. So, and I'll help spread the word. <laughs> so thank you for joining me. And thank you to all our listeners. Remember, every moment is a new moment for Conscious Connections. Thanks for listening to Conscious Parents, Thriving Kids. If you like what you heard, the best compliment you can give us is to share this podcast with a friend. And be sure to give us some stars and a favorable review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in.